kids' school and stuff over the last um, couple of weeks, and every one that I've gone to has been uniquely um, individual to that church, and so some of them were, were huge. I went to one program, and I mean, it was just lights and sound and fog machines, and their choir had more seats than our church had in it. I mean, it was, it was a Christmas spectacular. Been to her choir concert, and it's just a small group of kids on stage singing a cappella, and both were equally beautiful. Both reflected the culture of the group that we had gone to see. Well, tonight, I promise you, what you will get from us will be authentically refuge. You know, we are a small, intimate church, uh, a group of misfits we call ourselves, loving Jesus, serving others, and so tonight, you're going to get all of us together. It's been a weird year in 2020 that, you know, together has been a hard thing. We were together at first, we get to March, and all of a sudden together meant that 
Some of us were online, I guess in March, all of us were online until August. And then August, some of us came back slowly, but the rest of us stayed online. And here we are in December. More have came back, but a lot are still watching online tonight. So whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, I just want to welcome everybody here this evening. Uh, so tonight we're going to have some music, we're going to have some teaching. You can applause. This is Mary. Mary was our soloist. Please give her a round of applause. She did a fantastic job, I thought, to open our service. Everybody was just stunned, like, oh, did we, <laughs> we applaud now or what? But uh, we're going to have some poetry tonight. We're going to have people who are here. We're going to have people participating who can't be here because they're still quarantining because of COVID, but they've recorded themselves and sent it in, and we've incorporated that into the service. And so I think it'll be a really neat way of bringing us together, those who are virtual with us tonight and those who are here in person. To start our evening, our children, those who are back now and, and with us, they're going to do a program. They're going to tell the greatest story I believe ever told. I've been promised that they're also going to include Anna from last week into the story because she gets gypped in the nativity, and so we're going to put her back in the story tonight. Um, but before we get to that, I'm going to pray, and then our children are going to come up. Father God, uh, we just thank you for everybody that is in this room tonight that you brought here safely. God, we uh, come here tonight. Um, for your glory and for your honor, we come because um, 2,000 years ago you were born. You came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died the perfect death. And you gave us grace and mercy that brings us here in your name today. And so, God, I just pray over this service that um, we never want to do a big show at Refuge. That's not who we are. But tonight is kind of a show uh, because we're showing your glory and so we just ask for everybody who's participating tonight that you would be with them, that everybody that is here and listening, um, that they would get something from the message and from the music or just from the, uh, the fellowship with one another. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the stable. This is the stable, dusty and brown, in a quiet corner of Bethlehem town. This is the star whose light shone down on the quiet, stable, dusty and brown. This is the manger filled with hay to feed the animals sheltered away from the chilly night where the star shone down from the quiet, stable, dusty and brown. This is the cow with a swishing tail whose gentle moo handled a baby's wail. This is the donkey, gray and white, who stood near the manger all through the night. They both kept watch while the star shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. This is the mother, her manner so mild, singing and rocking her newborn child. This is her husband, patient and wise, guiding his family with watchful eyes. Together they settled the little one down in the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are the shepherds tending their sheep out in the field while the town was asleep. These are the angels, a glorious throng, who sang to the shepherds a wonderful song. Be not afraid. Go to Bethlehem town, to the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are the wise women, travelers three, who knew of an ancient prophecy. They followed the star whose light shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are their gifts, so fine to behold, frankincense, myrrh, and glistening gold. They carried these presents uphill and down, till they reach the stable, dusty and brown. This is the baby born that night in the stable marked by the star so bright. A baby boy who cooed and cried and looked around with eyes so wide. Then cuddled and swaddled, he laid his head on the soft sweet hay in his manger bed and slept in the stable in Bethlehem town, the quiet stable, dusty and brown. Here is Anna. She represents hope. We often forget about the role she took. She fasted and prayed and close to God stayed. She saw Jesus and knew he was the one. She thanked God and told everyone. This is the stable, dusty and brown, all the way in Bethlehem town.
She, she's not here right now, but um, she passed away. When I was 18 years old, um, she died of cancer, and um, I was playing college basketball. And um, I just remember every, as a kid, I used to, we used to go to Nana's house every day. We used to eat around the dinner table. And um, she loved basketball. She loved Michael Jordan. And it was just, every, every Christmas, she used to always get us sweaters. Like, and um, we used to have to fake it that we liked it, you know? It was kind of funny looking. And like, I'm never gonna wear this and put it in the closet. And um, one day, uh, I, got a, I got a sweater from my Nana and I was like, I, I just don't like this Nana. And it just like broke her. And I don't know why, but every holiday season, I always think about like my, my Nana and how she was just there for me and um, Christmas. like. Christmas was so important for me and, and, and my family. So um, I just want to share that with y'all. And uh, I know a lot of people probably going through like holidays, like a time where we get to get together as, as like a family. But um, I really, really miss my Nana. I really wish I would have just appreciated her more while she was here. And um, yeah, I want to share that with y'all. But um, I'm going to share this poem with y'all. And uh, yeah. Um, it's called What is Christmas? What is Christmas? Beautiful lights down McGregor Boulevard was a highlight. The same holiday, the same routine every holiday season. 
a two to three mile difference between dark and light. That darkness was my home. Placed in the cage where red lining was my home. People that looked like me usually lived there. As a kid, my favorite meal was Fruity Pebbles. Cereal for dinner was the win. We usually celebrated who didn't have to wash the dishes. Let's get back to the good old days where the anticipation to see Christmas lights was my advent. Never understood the story of Jesus until I was 26. My fathers were my Goliaths. The hands they used to worship during church service, services abused my idol. What is Christmas? Fighting a battle not too many Davids could even fathom. A home where shattered glass and gunshots were the reason why my darker shade matters. I know that triggers some of you. I'm usually Waldo in every room. A home where at nine years old, an innocent kid became addicted to explicit movies. A home where a teenage mother gave birth to the savior of the world. Her name was Mary. My mom worked three jobs just so we can get by. I remember, I remember my mother cleaning a church just to get by. It was usually midnight when those lights went out. I knew my next meal wouldn't be until I got to school. Forced to go, go, first, forced to, go to a school where teachers labored me confused. Gentrification usually meant I would be the only B-L-A-C-K kid in school. A safe place usually turned into trips to speech classes because of my social anxiety. What is Christmas? A father by the name of Joseph, a boldness to protect his wife. I'm still shaken by the trauma that plays in my head after I hear the song Silent Night. Is this supposed to be life? A city called Dunbar, I mean Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. A kid with a God-sized vision, with a mom who cleaned churches for a living. What is Christmas? An anticipation of Jesus. No PS5 or iPhone can compete with this feature. Not even Chick-fil-A. Extra Polynesian sauce usually saves the day. Can y'all tell that's my favorite place? What is Christmas? Jesus is the reason for the season. Ugly sweaters from Nana House and roasted chicken. A season where we may get many gifts, but the true meaning for this season is the great I am. Thank you. Hello, Refuge Church. My name is Donna Carroll. I am originally from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and now live in Germany far, far away. Luckily, my good friend Darlene introduced me to y'all online. I love the message. I try to listen every Saturday at 11.30 p.m. my time, or just whenever I can listen to it. I love the music and I love the message. It resonated with me. Um, I try to share it to help other people, and I just want to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart for all y'all do online. Uh, again, just thank you so much and Merry Christmas. I have a song for you and hopefully the church will play along. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs and it is called Merry Did You Know. Once again, Merry Christmas and thank you Refuge Church. <laughs>
After writing the program for Jerry Falwell's Living Christmas Tree, Mark Lowry penned the words to Mary Did You Know. It wasn't until 1991 when he enlisted the help of his friend, musician Buddy Green, to record the song as we know it today. In the song, the mother of our Lord is asked repeatedly if she knew that the child in her arms was the savior of the world. And the short answer is she did. The angel Gabriel told her as much in the first chapter of Luke. I mentioned this back to a co-worker recently, and she said I ruined her favorite Christmas song. And while I'm sorry for that, I believe that in understanding the depths of Mary's knowledge of who her child was, we can understand what it means to live for the Lord and to live in hope. Mary Did You Know has always been my least favorite Christmas song because it highlights the incredible ask the Lord is making of Mary. Use your body to grow a child that is not your betrothed. Labor and deliver this child fully God and fully human. Raise him as your son, knowing that your hopes and dreams for him will forever be superseded by the Lord's plan. And then watch as this life that you brought forth into the world suffers and dies on the cross. How could God who can see all of time laid out in every direction, who knows and is the beginning and the end, 
ask for such a monumental sacrifice from a mere human. What kind of God would do that? But my distaste for the song and for the story rested on the assumption that Mary did not understand the terms and conditions of the agreement she was entering into, that she lacked agency and that the role was thrust upon her. But Mary did know. Mary was a first century Jewish woman. She would have grown up studying the Torah and the prophets. She would have been well acquainted with writings like Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. She also would have known the suffering servant poems from the same prophet, like Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when the angel came to Mary and proclaimed, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary knew fully well what the ask was. And still she said, I am the Lord's servant. What does this have to do with hope? What has so much, so much to do with hope? As Brian said last week, biblical hope can best be characterized as expectant waiting. At the time of Jesus' birth, Israel had been expectedly waiting a Messiah for 700 years. Through invasions by Assyria, exile to Babylon, war, plague, famine, the hope of a coming Messiah to ransom them and bring them back into the fold of God was what they relied on. And it was this hope that allowed Mary to say yes. It was this hope that sustained Mary while she watched the suffering and death of her son on a cross. And it was this hope that was fulfilled when he overcame death and rose from the grave. See, hope is not a passive experience. It's not just a feeling we either have or we don't. It is not bestowed upon some and not on others. Hope is active. Hope is a choice and often a tremendously difficult one. Choosing hope is a radical act as we sit in the mire of hopelessness and cynicism. To not be able to see the end of the plan, to not know all of the terms and conditions, and to not be certain that we would agree to them if we did, and to choose to hope that there is more and that there is better is a revolutionary act. To say that this year has been difficult is an understatement. Humanity has suffered a year of heartbreak, loss, fear, and anger, and it seems like every month has endeavored to prove that it can in fact get worse. And this says nothing of the personal loss so many are experiencing. Loss of a loved one, of friends, of friendships, jobs, income. The toll of our individual and collective trauma is staggering. In times of crisis, I often refer back to Mr. Rogers, who told us to look for the helpers. But even now, our helpers are exhausted. They are tapped out and pushed to the breaking point. The world appears to be in a grim, dark place, and it's only getting darker. The situation seems hopeless. But to quote writer Kat Armas, I can't help but notice that in the Bible, hope points backwards in order to look forward. This tells me that divine hope isn't shallow, disembodied. It doesn't ignore or forget the past. Instead, 
It's conceived in the real, the raw. It takes root in the dark of the wilderness. Right now, we feel like we are in the dark of the wilderness. We feel like we are Israel wandering in the desert. We are Israel expectantly waiting a Messiah after 700 years. We are disciples grieving in the upper room, certain that the one that we believe to be our savior is dead. But in this darkness, divine hope will find us. It will remind us that more and that better is possible. That the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace will come again. And that to his kingdom, there will be no end. At Christmas, we look back to Jesus's birth, to the hope that that brings in order to give us hope for the future. And we can have hope, even in the darkest of times. To quote Wendell Berry, it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. Mary knew that the baby in her arms was the savior of the world. And we know that too. And that can give us hope. It gets darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. Since the beginning of time, the darkness, like a cancer, just grew and it grew, or like a virus, it just spread and it spread, and generation came and generation went, and then one day, the way, the truth, and the life showed up in the flesh. He was here. And when he showed up, it caused angels to rejoice, it caused shepherds to worship, caused wise men or women, apparently, to travel long distances bearing gifts. These wise men or women, we don't know where they came from. We don't know how many they were, by the way. We don't know that there were three wise men. They gave three gifts, but we don't know how many. We don't know even how they knew about Jesus. We don't even know what religion they practiced. All we know is they came expectant to find Jesus. And perhaps they were the very first Gentile converts to Christianity. I agree with Carly that Mary did know. It's a true statement. But I think she knew like I knew what my sin cost Jesus. Like I have a vague understanding of what my sin cost Jesus, but that is still enveloped in mystery and wonder. And so since Carly already is ruining Christmas songs tonight and messing them up, I thought as I got started, maybe I'd just go ahead and crush a few other Christmas beliefs and dreams and songs that you have. That, that star that you got on top of your little Christmas tree or your nativity scene, it wasn't there at the birth of Christ, I hate to tell you. It's what led the wise men to Jesus, and we cleared up last week. They didn't come until a few years later when Jesus was probably a two-year-old, terrible two toddler. We don't know, but, but it was a little while later. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there were, you know, little sheeps and cattle at the, at the birth of Jesus. There's no animals really ever mentioned. So you can believe that if you want, but, but it's not in the Bible. Doesn't say anywhere that Jesus was born on December 25th. He may have been, or he may not have been. Jesus most certainly was not white, so we can get rid of all those little white figurines in, in our nativities. Point is, we get a lot of the details wrong about Christmas. That's okay. Because the message of Christmas isn't really in those details. The message of Christmas, as Dwayne said, is the great I am came. That Jesus is here. That the God of the universe showed up and he never left. Karen and I, if you don't know, my wife Karen and I, we're high school sweethearts. We were best friends in high school. We finally started dating the summer before our senior year. And so because we were still relatively new in our relationship, when it came time to go to college, we were still working, you know, through ourselves and figuring the relationship out. So we went to separate colleges. We didn't go to college together. And so I couldn't be with her. I loved her, but I couldn't be with her. And so I did the next best thing. I wrote her these things called letters. You take a pen and you buy paper. If you fancy, you buy stationery and you, and you put a stamp on it and you walk it to the mailbox and like magic, a few days later, it shows up. 
And that was great, it worked. Some might even call it romantic, writing these love letters back and forth, and we wrote a lot. But it wasn't the same as being there in person. Now, I'm not that old. We did have telephones in my day. They were connected by a wire to the wall. Sometimes you had to go, some of you know. Actually, by the time we made it to college, we could push buttons. It was that fancy. And so when I got to talk to Karen, man, that was even better than letters because I could hear her voice and I could tell what kind of mood she was in and we could communicate back and forth immediately without having to wait three days for the transition to happen. We also had to pay for long distance. I know some of y'all don't know about long distance. I was poor and broke in college and would have some $100 a month phone bills, and that was like devastating. So for Christmas, our parents used to give us prepaid calling cards. Anybody remember those? They probably picked them up at Kmart or Walworth or something. I don't know. But those phone calls, it was worth every penny that I spent, but it still wasn't the same as being there. And then the second semester of my freshman year, this is 1994, my college got email. It was AOL. You got mail. You remember that? My email address was bc2 at evansville.edu. That's how early on in the process. And it was nearly immediate communication. And best of all, it was free. But it wasn't the same as being there. Even today, when I go out of town, taking Kennedy to visit colleges, which that's flown by, right? I take her to visit colleges, and I can, I can FaceTime with Karen. I can literally hear her voice. I can see her face. It's kind of sort of free, even though I pay for the phone that I have. And I can see her expressions, and it's high def, it's 4K, whatever, but it's, it's just still not the same as being there in person. When I'm there... Karen tells me she feels safe. When I'm there, in our home, I do most of the cooking. And so when I'm there, the kids don't have to survive on Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's a good day. It's a rice sides on a bad day. If you know what those are, they're like 30 cents in a little packet, rice sides. That's what they eat when I'm not there. When I'm there, I can turn the TV on for Karen because she can't figure it out. Apparently, when I'm not there, it's too complex. Yesterday, Dwayne texted me, and he's got another ministry besides Hoops on Mission. They're starting a marriage ministry, and he just sent me a nice text. He said, hey, what was the highlight of my week in my marriage? We share back and forth and encourage each other uh, as husbands in our marriages, and I gave it a lot of thought. I didn't respond to him right away, and I said, you know, I think my favorite thing this week with Karen was just sitting together on the couch doing nothing, because there's just something about just sitting and being with no pressure to do. You can't do that when you're first dating, but 20 plus years into marriage, there's just something about, I don't know, just being together with each other when you're there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Colossians 1.15, Paul says, Christ is the visible image, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Again, if we go back to the beginning of time in the Bible, and we're in Genesis chapter 3, God is there. He's there with the first humans. And it says he walked in the garden in the coolness of the day. But by the end of that chapter, chapter 3, that darkness that we've been talking about enters the world. And it just, doesn't just enter the world, it enters our hearts. And because of that, because of this darkness... We can no longer be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And so instead of God being with us and walking with us, he watched and he guided, but he did so from a distance. Now, he would still communicate. He'd communicate, the Bible says, through the beauty of creation. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nation, or nature. The Bible also says that, that God was in the temple and he would appear through a cloud of glory. God would give messages. He would send letters through prophets and the prophets would convey those messages to the people. But it wasn't the same. He wasn't here. Then in one divine moment that we celebrate tonight, the God of the universe adds humanity to his deity, and he comes 
here. And he does so as a baby. I mean, imagine right now you becoming a baby again. I mean, have you ever considered that, that you would have to give up language, you would give up muscle coordination, give up the ability to eat pizza, babies don't eat pizza, give up the ability to control your bladder and everything else, totally dependent upon someone else. And so on that day, when God came in Bethlehem, the maker of all took the form of a helpless little baby just so he could be here with us. That's the gospel message of Christmas. Jesus came as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He paid for that darkness on his hearts, our hearts. And then after being placed in a tomb, you know, another angel showed up. And he said, he is not here because he has risen. And because he was not there in the tomb ever since he's been here with every human being that calls upon his name. And so rich or poor or black or white, those who think COVID is a government conspiracy, those who think we should wear face masks forever, the Enneagram 8s, the Enneagram 1s, the doubters, the Pharisees, whether you've been naughty or nice this year, he's with you. He's for you. He's here for those who are looking. See, God had circled a date on the calendar for 2,000 years ago while Israel was going through all their trials and struggles and they were waiting with hope. God knew he was coming. He already had the date circled. It was a very precise moment. It was a time of Pax Romana. If you don't know what that is, peace throughout most of the known world at that time when Jesus came. The Romans had built roads so that the gospel after Jesus came could spread. There was a universal language, Greek, that most people spoke. At the time, people were finally losing their hopes in these idols they had built up. And so all of a sudden, in a tiny town called Dunbar, I mean Bethlehem, (laughs) he was here. And you know what? A lot of people missed it. Why? Because they weren't actively, expectantly, radically looking. Shepherds didn't miss it. I mean, they're the lowest class of people. They couldn't testify in court. You couldn't even give a shepherd financial assistance. But they got to be a part of the Christmas story in the Bible because they were looking. Those wise men, they weren't even Jewish But apparently they had read some scripture, maybe they read Isaiah that Carly quoted, and they came curious and looking. Anna, last week that we talked about, her husband dies and she lives 60 years as a widow. She could have spiraled into loneliness, she could have given up hope, but she kept herself near God so that when he showed up, she recognized him. God has always been there for those who were looking In the Old Testament, we see this over and over. Abraham, he's scared. He doesn't know how he's going to do what God's called him to do. And God says, well, I'll be with you. Moses, same thing. I don't know how I'm going to do this. God says, I'll be with you. Joshua, Gideon, Daniel in the fire, Jeremiah the prophet when the entire nation is waste. And God says, I will be with you. And all those people, all they got were letters and emails and the occasional phone call, which is good. But it's not the same as Emmanuel, God with us. Now tonight, 12-19-2020, God has also had this date circled on his calendar since eternity passed. And he's here. He showed up here. He's here for anyone who's looking. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your credentials. It doesn't even matter your religion. It doesn't matter the darkness that is around you. He's here. He's available for anyone who is looking. And so I encourage you, look to him. When there's joy in your life and you're celebrating and you're happy and, man, things are just going awesome, he's there with you and he's celebrating with you. And when you are in pain and you are suffering, he's there. He's comforting you. Look for him. Look for him when you have those big successes in life because he's there. Look for him when you have those failures in life, 
Because he's there too. Because Paul says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was not in the tomb, then he's always with you. That's what these candles we're going to light tonight symbolize. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up on stage. I think everybody should have candles now. Tanya, how are we lighting these candles? I probably should have asked you that question. Tanya has a plan, everybody. We're going to light some candles here. It's a tradition we've done here. This is our fifth year together now at Christmas as a church. So we're going to light some candles. We're going to sing Silent Night. We're going to ask that you guys stand and sing with us. And we're going to worship God a little bit after that as well. We're going to light these candles. And these candles, they represent Jesus. The light coming into the darkness. These candles represent his spirit lighting that flame so he could be with us. These candles represent us believers sharing the light of Jesus, that he is here, sharing that with the world, sharing that with each other as Jesus' hands and feet. So won't you stand, light some candles, and we're just going to sing the most famous Christmas song ever, Silent Night. child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever.
guys can blow out your candles and let's sing this last song together. Jesus is the reason. Oops. We good? <laughs> Was it you? Oh, whose kid are you anyway? Jeez. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be a refuge Christmas without something like that happening for sure. So, you know, I thought we were going to skate by maybe, but uh, let's try this again. You've heard the saying, Jesus is the reason 
for the season. I mean, Dwayne said that earlier. Jesus is the reason for the season. But this week, I've been thinking of my late friend, Jeff Taylor, who I've talked about a few weeks ago, passed away and used to work at Way FM. And he used to be on the radio, and he would always talk about this. He'd say, um, you know, Jesus isn't the reason for the season. And, oh, outrage for the Christian community. How dare you say that? He said, no, Jesus isn't the reason for the season. You are. We are. Jesus came not so that he could go back to God and report that, oh, they were naughty or nice. He came to live, to die, so that he could be with us. So we are the reason for the season. I don't know who needs to hear this. Right now, Christmas is coming. You can stop tracking that package. It's in God's hands now. But Christmas is here on Friday. And it's going to be a great day, and it's going to be mostly about presents and turkey or ham or whatever it is you eat. It's going to be mostly about family. It's okay. That's what it is. Don't feel guilt because of that. But this week, maybe take some time to just sit alone, not doing, just being, because you can, because he came, and because he's still here. God bless. Love y'all. I won't see you next week. No service next week. Don't show up. See you in two weeks in 2021. God bless. See you next time. Thank you.